Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 36 of the Masterclass. My name is still Cam, <laughs> and I'm still across the table from Dave. That's the way it should be. Yes. You realize that we always sit on the same side of the table? Sure. We should mix it up next week. Okay. It's going to change my perspective drastically. <laughs> but anyways, we are here. Uh, we're two days late. Um, but, you know, I was back home in Detroit and Dave had some work stuff. So uh, we are recording now and you were listening now. Although in a weird time lapse continuum, now for us is different than now for you. But it's still now. It's the future. Yes. We are time travelers, Dave. <laughs> Below it. But anyways, this is episode 36, and we have a lot to discuss today, so I'm just going to dive right in. We mentioned, I believe it was two episodes ago, in episode 34, that Crossway was putting together a documentary about J.I. Packer and his life, um, and they had uh, kind of teased these little um, video vignettes about Packer at uh, answering very specific questions. Um, but they have released the full documentary. It's like, it's only like 18 minutes long. I was expecting something much longer yeah. based on how they were um, advertising it. But if you go to crossway.org slash J I Packer, you can watch that documentary in full. And I would encourage it. Um, like I said, it's only like 17 or 18 minutes long, but it's a really, um, cool look at a guy who is looking back on his life and is doing his best to encourage the next generation to finish well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's what I got out of it is he's not bragging about his life. Uh, and actually if you hear some of his stories, he's, he's quite lucky to even be alive. Oh, um, now, let alone when he was, you know, maybe my age. Yeah. Um, and just his heart for the word of God, his heart for, um, teaching Christians to understand the Bible um, is really something that uh, encouraged me. And uh, so if you go to that link, which we'll have in the show notes, you can watch the documentary, but it also has all the, I think there's like 10 little like two or three minute videos where he's asking, answering questions like what is church unity? What is the gospel? You know, why is prayer important? Which are also very, very helpful, especially if you're leading like a Bible study and you are talking about like prayer. Mm -hmm. Here's J.I. Packer in three minutes teaching more than I could teach in two hours yeah. about what prayer is like. Um, so definitely worth your while um, to go and watch and then, you know, perhaps use as a resource um, in whatever setting you choose. But we wanted to make sure that you're aware of that because I really like J.I. Packer. Yep. So does Dave. So it is officially masterclass <laughs> recommended. <laughs> Seal of approval. Mm -hmm. Big old fat M stamped on it. All right, so that's that. Uh, how about some follow-up, Dave? Okay. I mentioned dispensationalism last episode um, as in the article we referenced that wasn't very helpful, and this guy pretty much just disregards dispensationalism as something that's just too ridiculous to even consider, if I'm remembering correctly. It has been like nine days. Uh, so I linked to the Wikipedia article on dispensationalism because when you want to learn about theology, Dave, where else would you go besides Wikipedia? I know. But this is actually, this article is actually pretty helpful because it has lots of, it does, uh, charts it is good, yeah. and so you can see like there's a three step, a five step and a seven or eight step version of the dispensations in the Bible, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, it shows exactly, you know, um, book, chapter, or verse, depending on where the break is, how different dispensationalists view the different dispensations. So I guess I should step back a second and explain what dispensationalism is, since that's the whole point of this follow-up. That would be good. So the basic, very general summation of dispensationalism is that God has related to human beings in different ways under different biblical covenants in a series of dispensations or periods in history. So this is saying in, you know, uh, dispensation A, God um, related to human beings in such and such a way. Then later on in dispensation B, he related to human beings in this new or different way. And then in dispensation C, D, E, F, or G, he changed to do things that way. Um, and so obviously, you know, the three major, I'm going to look this up real quick so I don't uh, speak incorrectly. 
the three-step dispensation starts uh, with, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, uh, the law, which I guess would be an easy guess. That, so that is um, based on this you know, chart, the very beginning of the Bible through the birth of the church. So essentially the entire Old Testament is one dispensation under this three-step rule. Then there's the dispensation of grace, which is the church age, so the beginning of the New Testament through the rapture, which, you know, who knows when that is. And then the third is after the rapture, which is the kingdom. So that's a very simple um, breakdown. It gets a little more uh, individualized or granular as you go up the the steps. Um, to the point where in the seven or eight step one, Genesis one, two, and three is a dispensation. Genesis three through eight is a different dispensation. Genesis nine through 11 is yet another one. Genesis 12 through Exodus 19 is another. Exodus 20 through the rest of the Old Testament is a different dispensation. Then there's the church age. Then there's the millennial kingdom. Then there's the eternal state or final. So dispensations that haven't even happened yet, but are theoretically alluded to in scripture. Um, so that is that. And then just, to, I guess, make a funny point here. It says that uh, estimates of the number of people who hold dispensationalist <laughs> beliefs vary in the United States, vary between 5 and 40 million people alone. So even if we take the most conservative approaches, 5 million people think that dispensationalism is real. But this guy who wrote the article is just like, yeah, nope, stupid, nope, not even worth talking about. Bye. So... That is a very, very, very quick overview of dispensationalism. Uh, if you've heard of the Schofield Reference Bible, that is a very dispensationalist Bible as far as the commentary and such that is within it. Um, that's probably the biggest reference as I read through the article I saw. There's a bunch of other names that I was not as familiar yeah, I with. I did not know and that. It, and, and not to sound um, cocky, but if I'm not familiar with them, I doubt that the uh, non-theologically <laughs> uh, trained person would be. Unless, of course, they grew up in the dispensationalist background, in which case they would probably know more about it than I would. Sure. So that is a very, very quick overview of dispensationalism. Yes. All right. Next. We talked about death last week. Mm-hmm. And I got, or we got, a response from Jerome. And uh, there was a lot in this response. Um. But before we dive into specifically, uh, well, no, we'll just dive in. Um, Jerome was not uh, pleased <laughs> with how uh, Dave and I discussed the intricacies of dealing with the death of a loved one. Um, and so, first of all, I want to apologize. Um, I, I did not mean to um, offend or, um, upset listeners. Uh, I went back and listened to everything that I said. Um, and, uh, I think that I was certainly a little bit more flippant than I should have been. Um, one of the things that, um, I'm guilty of is when I see something as very black and white or very, you know, distinct, I can tend to treat it a lot more lightheartedly than I should especially when it's a, a, a topic that a lot of people probably don't see as black and white as I do. Um, and so before we even get into the details of, of the, the feedback and what was said, I just want to say I did not mean to be flippant um, or... Um, glib? Uh, gl well, not even <laughs> glib, but just I, I did not mean to, to speak so lightly about something gotcha. that is clearly a heavy topic. So, um, for that, I do apologize. Um, and another thing is I I went back and listened to it and I made it seem that crying, like crying at a funeral is a bad thing, which is not at all what I intended to say. Um, what I meant is that there is a difference to, there's, there's a strong difference between grieving and sorrow. Mm -hmm. And that oftentimes, in my experience, I have seen Christians acting out of sorrow and not grief. And the, and the difference to me there is that when someone acts in sorrow, 
there is no hope. It is done. It's final. And their actions, their anger, their emotion is out of this place of, I'm never going to see this person again. This is it. Game over. And it's just, it's awful. It's tragic, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas when people act in grief, it's the, it is the emotional response to not having your loved one in your life anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and to the point uh, Jerome makes in his email that it's not so much about just ha- not having that person and, and, and having the, the pain of m- remembering them, but it's also the memories that you're not going to be able to make with them as you go forward. And, and Jerome mentions in his email, you know, his father died very tragically which I can't imagine because I've never, you know, my dad's still around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just, I can't even begin to imagine, you know, and it happened, it happened to him when he was in college. So still young enough um, that having your dad around is something that you really want and desire, but old enough to realize like this changes things um, big time, more than I can understand. Um, and now I forget. Now I'm now I'm caught up thinking about my dad, and I forgot where I was going to go with that. Um, what was I going to say, Dave? Don't know. You don't know. No, oh, I'm man. sorry. Okay, so wow, I really screwed the pooch on that. <laughs> I wish I could pause and rewind, but we must. The show must go on. Um. Anyways, Dave, start talking. I, I seriously, my brain just stopped thinking. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I guess for me, my my piece was, um, you know, it's it's not healthy, uh, for your life to becoming to become like basically an ongoing ritual, uh, to be dedicated to honoring the person that you've lost. Uh, I think you need to continue to grieve and I think you need to grieve for years, decades, uh, beyond when you lost that person. Um, but it's like this, there's a lot of effort that really has to go into mourning and grieving. And when you're constantly almost kind of living in the past and trying to keep that alive, I don't think that's healthy. Um, but I think kind of like you mentioned grieving, um, a, you know, uh, a future event that you'd hope to share with that person. Certainly think that is a healthy, you know, uh, thing to do. So, yeah, I, I guess that was just sort of, um, you know, uh, I wasn't in the moment of grieving someone or mourning like you were. And so as we were talking about it, that was just kind of the thing that, that came to my mind um, is just, I've been around people where I felt like their primary purpose in life had become mourning the loss of this person. And that's really not what mourning is about. It really is um, um, uh, about bringing closure and bringing an end to things. And it doesn't mean that it won't resurface and you won't experience it again, uh, but it is not, it is not something that should be ongoing uh, throughout life or Maybe ongoing is the wrong way to say that. It shouldn't be a uh, non-ceasing, you know, that never stops. It's just a constant. Um, so anyway, um, you know, we need to progress in our in our grief, and it needs to move us forward versus taking us backwards. So that was that was my piece and my uh, what I was thinking as we were talking about it. So, do you think of what you wanted to say? No, no, I have other, I have other things to <laughs> Move say. Move on. I'm sure I'll go back and listen to this episode and say, oh, that's, oh, that's exactly. exactly. <laughs> so perhaps I will share that next episode. Um, I think one of the really um, good things that, that Jerome brings up uh, in, you know, he shares a lot of his story with us in this email. Um, but one of the things that, that he brings up is that um, American society, he says, fails terribly at grieving appropriately that most people suppress or ignore their grief uh, to the detriment of those and those around them. Uh, And then he says, you can see this expressed whenever a celebrity dies. A big part of the reason that people were so sad about Robin Williams' death was not they were grieving him. Uh, They may have thought they were grieving him, but they were uh, subconsciously grieving lost friends and family members, and Williams' death just reopened the wound that was already there and had not been allowed to heal properly. And I think um, that he's onto something, at least as far as we're not 
we don't we, we don't know how to handle death. No, we've removed it from our world. It's and it's like it's one of those things that's like especially like within the church, it's like sex and death you just don't talk about. Like, yay, Jesus came back from the dead, death's defeated, but that's like it. You know, uh when when Ty's wife Lisa was dying of cancer, she had a book called Dying Well, and it was mm-hmm. this guy who was engaging. I've not read it, but based on what Ty told me about it, it's it's a a theological discussion about what the Bible says about death. Mm-hmm. And Ty, for a long time, wouldn't touch the book because it freaked him out. He didn't want to admit that his wife was dying of cancer, even though it was obvious to everybody. Um, and granted, it went really fast at the end. We, uh, we all thought she had a lot longer to live mm-hmm. than she did and went really quickly. Um, but it was only after that she passed away that he was able to read that book and, and start to engage with what it means to die as a Christian and, and, and what death really means. And, and so I think one of the things that I've learned just in even talking about this last week and getting um, the response back that we did from Jerome is that there needs to be a much more um, open and engaging discussion about death within the church. Yeah. Because if any place should have that, you would think it'd be the one place that celebrates the fact that death has been defeated. Yeah. Well, we, I, I mean, we should live our life with, live our lives as death is the focus. I mean, we should be preparing ourselves for death. I mean, that's, it's, I'm, I'm living this life so that when I die, I'm ready for the next stage of my life. And we don't do that. I mean, we really should live our lives anticipating death in a positive way. And I'm not going to say I was always that, that place, but, I can genuinely say that, you know, I, I mean, I welcome that experience. You know, I don't look forward to the dying process, especially if it's uncomfortable and, you know, something like cancer that goes on. But um, to me, it, dying very much is a anticipation of going to the next where I'm supposed to be. So... Well, I don't think this is the last time we'll talk about this. Oh, probably not. Um, but I do want to say um, to Jerome, uh, thank you for taking the time to write that email mm-hmm. um, and for being uh, upfront and honest with us about how you felt that we handled the topic um, and your response to it. Um, know that we we do very much uh, appreciate the fact that you took the time to call us on a number of things um, and that we did take it to heart. Um, so the conversation's not over, but we just wanted to say thank you for doing that. Um, and uh, we look forward to continuing the conversation with you and with anybody else that would care to chime in because this is not a topic that is so easily um, handled. And it is certainly one that needs to be discussed um, more mm-hmm. with a lot of grace. Um, but certainly a topic that I think the church needs to do a much better job at making um, not so taboo, if I can use that word. Sure. No, thank you for the permission, David. (laughs) It's what I was seeking for this whole time. All right. Any other thoughts on anything before we dive into the script shallows for today? No. No other thoughts. All right. Well, you can talk now. Oh, I, can. <laughs> I have to take a drink. My, I'm parched. You're parched. Um, well, do you want me to go ahead and read the verse that we have for tonight? I would. All right. So we're going to move on to Matthew 10, 26 through 33. And it reads, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who destroyed both soul and body in hell. And not two sparrows are not two sparrows sold for a penny. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. The end. Thank you, kind sir. 
All right, so this is a continuation mm-hmm. of what we've been talking about for the last few episodes, and um, I actually think it ties really well into um, our discussion last week and this week about death and um, all of that. So, uh, if if you haven't or you're not really familiar with the verses that precede this, you can go ahead and pause now. And no, seriously, hit pause, and we'll we'll still be here. I promise. Yes. It's a recording. We're not going anywhere. Um, and just refresh, read, read from, hold on, let me back up here. Read from about uh, verse 16 through 33, and that will give you a better idea of, of what we covered last week and uh, the week before and what we're going to cover today. Um, and so essentially this is Jesus. He is sending out the disciples into the world to go do stuff. Yes. Go do miracles, go preach the gospel. Um, to the people of Israel, all this stuff. And then he says, do all this great stuff. Oh, by the way, all of this real crappy stuff's probably going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of like his crescendo towards the end. Like you thought it was bad before, you know, they're going to, they're going to persecute you. Um, if they think the teacher is the devil, then what are they going to say about, you know, the people that follow him, that sort of stuff. So after he does that, he just says, so just don't, don't be afraid of them. Right. And then he says this sort of cryptic stuff for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. It's very uh, kind of as Jesus is wont to do, um, not clear. And you really have to kind of read between the lines. Mm -hmm. So I ask you, David, Mm -hmm. what do verses 26 and 27 mean in the context of this passage in this greater context? And you're in Matthew chapter 10, as he's prepping the disciples to go out into the world. Um, I, well, I think, um, he's, he's, his expectation of them is to continue on with what he is doing. And, um, I, I think there's even maybe a little bit of a, of shifting gears in a sense in that, um, you know, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of heaven and he did it, you know, pretty freely, um, without reservation, but there was often, you know, you didn't get the sense that that was necessarily his purpose in terms of, you know, he would say things and he'd be like, okay, now don't tell anybody what happened and, you know, keep quiet on this. And even when, uh, the mobs would kind of get unruly and he would need to get away and, and things like that. And, you know, I think he knew he, he had this different purpose and that when he left, he was going to hand the baton off to the disciples. And um, I think there's kind of an element of going, okay, you've seen me be a little bit reserved here and kind of, um, well, the words that are there, it says, uh, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And he's now saying, I tell you, say in the light what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. So he's kind of like going, okay, it's your guys' time to start really spreading this message and proclaim it and do it boldly. And um, again, his purpose was to um, usher in the kingdom of heaven, die for our sins, and um, take our place and become, you know, conquer death. And now it's the disciples' turns to advance the kingdom and spread the gospel. And it's like, okay, we've we've gone from this this to now you need to start doing that. And uh you know, um well I'll wait till we get to the next verse. So um so yeah um their job is to take it to that next level, I guess, is kind of what I see going on here. What were your thoughts? Very different. <laughs> uh, I hadn't thought about it that way. I was um, I was thinking of it like he's he said that these people are going to do lots of potentially bad stuff, right? Right. You're going to be persecuted. You know, you're going to not be welcome. You're going to be treated, you know, badly. But then he says, but don't be afraid of them because everything that happened is going to be revealed. Everything that you right. thought was just the private insults or, you know, nothing that happens to you is going to go forgotten. Right. That's kind of how I'm reading this. Sure. So like that's verse 26. Don't be afraid of them. And it gets a little clearer down later on in the verse, but 
or in the, in the passage, don't be afraid of the people that are going to persecute you or call you out or ridicule you or tell you you're stupid or whatever, because everything that is done is going to be revealed. And in that reveal that revealing, it's going to be dealt with. Um, yeah, where it says, or nothing is hidden that will not be known. Like God will, just because it's going bad now, does not mean that God will not reveal it and know it in due time. And I think that's one of the hardest struggles we have, especially like when you, when you, when you approach the, you know, like the problem of evil, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. Why does God allow evil things to happen? And my best answer is because. Right. It, it is not for us to know now why crap happens the way that it does. Right. It is for God to know and for God to rectify and justify in his time. And a lot of people tell you that's a cop out as if they have the answer to everything right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Which we don't. No, and we never will. And that's the point. But it, there's this, there's this insatiable desire in the human mind to know everything and to be God of the universe ourselves. Right. We have to know, you know, and like, again, I've got, I've got nothing against science. I love science technology, medicine, mm-hmm. cars, houses, architecture, physics, all that stuff. Great. Not, not the best at it. I was okay at physics, <laughs> biology, like mitochondria, and I was out. Like, game over. <laughs> I don't know anything else. Zygote, that's something, isn't it? It is something. Uh, anyways. Um, but at one point, everyone thought the world was flat. Right. And that was the pinnacle of knowledge. And then we realized it wasn't, and everything changed. And I just, I don't understand people, and, and please, you know, educate me on this, that base life upon human knowledge as we know it now, because it's always changing, right? There's always mm-hmm. new things we're learning. Yes. We were right about this. We were really wrong about that. It is all, and that's what science's job is, is to figure out what is, what is, you know, uh, empirically true and what is not, right? Right. What, what is this made out of? Let's figure it out. What, what happens when we mix this with that? Uh, why do our bodies function the way that they do? Why do the stars align themselves? All of those things science is seeking the truth in, right? Mm-hmm. And that's very good. We need that stuff. Life is much better because of that stuff. Well, I, th- I think it was God's intention for, for us, us to be curious. To like discover that. Exactly. Yeah. But my, my, my trip up with that is when human knowledge, which is a very changing and shifting yeah. thing, becomes the bar with which we judge everything else by. Because who knows, in 10 years, what we were judging everything by today could be seen in a much different light. Right. Either a much truer light or a much falser light. And so one of, one of the, the benefits that we have as Christians is that God doesn't change. The bar by which we measure everything has been static for eternity. Yeah. So there is no, there is no shadow of changing with thee. What's, <laughs> what, what hymn is that? Uh, great is thy faithfulness? Yeah, great is thy faithfulness. When, when he says, you have no, don't fear them because everything that is covered is going to be revealed. Everything that is hidden is going to be known because at the end of the day, the buck stops at that line. Yeah. And that line has not changed. It's just a matter of whether or not we choose to believe that that line exists. Right. Because the things about science, biology, physics, and all that, those have been true since the beginning of time. We didn't create... We're just catching up. Yeah. We didn't create anything. We just we just figured out what God already Through knew. Through a lot of trial and error. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so my... My problem with the problem of evil is that people think it's a problem. Does that make any sense? <laughs> well, I think it is a problem, isn't it? Not for God. No, and that's my end. that's my point is that is that we are trying to solve an eternal problem with very temporal logic. Yeah. And so to me the problem of evil got solved on the cross. God created the world, man rebelled. There's one solution for the problem. God accomplishes that solution. Mm-hmm. And so now why do good things happen to bad people? Because God has not yet decided it's time to fix everything. Mm-hmm. That's the answer to me, to the problem of evil and to the problem of why we shouldn't fear what these people can do to us. As we get in and again, as we get down further, we're going to, you know, get to verse 28. 
right. and 29 and 31. But there's a lot more going on here than just these disciples going out and talking about the gospel. Like there is some serious um, anthropology and theology going on in these verses about what God is saying about him and about mankind and the value that they're mm-hmm. in. Um, so all of that to say, I got way ahead of myself there, but I couldn't help it, Dave. I'm getting <laughs> excited. That if we are Christians and if we believe what the Bible says and if we believe that God is who he says he is and that Jesus was who he says he was slash is slash will always be, um, we have to act out of trusting God and not f- out of fear in what the world could do to us. Right. Oh, definitely. And that is way easier said than done. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. But we have to start somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And so for the disciples, they had to start with just going out to these Jewish towns and proclaiming the gospel and dealing with what came their way, trusting that Jesus was leading them in the right direction. Yes. They were following that bar that doesn't change. They weren't going with the whims and uh, waves of cultural, you know, uh, fads or trends or, you know, I mean... Mustaches are back in style, Dave. <laughs> so are man buns. Well, not back in style, but probably first ever in style. But my point is, <laughs> these things culture and, is these the wrong thing to base flow. stuff exactly on, right? And that that's that's why we rely on God as this is this never changing, right? Like guide through all of the things in life that change. Mm-hmm. What's cool, what's not, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. I mean, you even look at at the the um the cultural acceptance of homosexuality as a viable um okay, you know, uh way to be. This is not the first time that's happened. No. This has happened in societies where it was frowned upon, where it was totally okay and everything in between and the cultures have ebbed and flowed over the centuries and millennia where, you know, certain societies thought it was great. Certain societies thought it was the devil and everything in between. And it's not this great revelation of America to accept this sort of stuff. It's just, it's the ebb and flow of culture. Yeah. And throughout all of that, generally cultures that have found homosexuality acceptable don't tend to last much longer. <laughs> Not really to, it tends to be a, a, an outward sign of kind of, uh, we've headed down this path of accepting things that God never intended. And I think that's uh, kind of maybe a better way to put it is we, we, we uh, God has what is best for us and what his, his design is. And we start to choose against God's best. And that's how I guess I view, you know, the situation with homosexuality is is we start to choose against what God's best is for us. So but we know better, Dave. Hopefully, because human knowledge is <laughs> always good. All right, uh next question. Let's move on into the the meat mm-hmm. or the center of what's going on in this passage. Verse 28, uh, I think puts life into some serious perspective. And for reference, verse 28 says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, what can we do to remember the truth? Um, that God is the only one that we should fear when it comes to something as, um, important as life or death? Uh, well, I think one of the things is you take a look at um, the 12 disciples who initially followed Jesus, and you've got Judas committed suicide, and then the other 11 were all killed for their, or I'm sorry, 10 of the other 11 were all killed for their faith. Yeah, John just got sent to time out. John gets to be a miserable old man on an island who didn't exactly have it easy. Him and Tom Hanks. <laughs> Him and Tom Hanks. Wilson! Uh, 
you know, you take a look at Paul, um, who, who was converted as, as an apostle and wrote much of our new Testament and, um, so I guess you start, for me, one of the things I look at is I look at the people who are closest to Jesus, knew him the best and what it was that he sent them out to do. And they very much lived and died uh, with that perspective of, um, you know, kill the body because the soul has an eternal, you know, an eternal place. And, um, you know, if we really, really believe in eternity and the idea of going to heaven or to hell, you, you, I, I guess I'll just speak for me personally. You would think that my behavior would be drastically different than what it is if I, you know, really do believe that, which I do believe I, uh, um, I believe it. Uh, but yet um, I allow uh, fear uh, to have too much influence over me and what I do and don't do. And uh, what's even really stupid about that is it's really not even about whether I live or die. It's almost more about whether people like me or not. (laughs) (laughs) So. um, That's true, though, if you think about it. I mean, there is, in my experience growing up, and, and Dave and I are far enough apart in age that our experiences in middle school and high school and college were very different. Mm-hmm. And then I'm far enough apart in age from Dave's uh, eldest daughter that our experiences are drastically different. Right. But, you know, I, I was able to, you know, obviously get um, a really good view of Caroline's view because I was her youth pastor mm-hmm. for three and a half years. So I was dealing with all of the stuff that her and all of the other kids in the youth group were going through. And I was thinking, Oh my gosh, they're only 10 years younger than I am, <laughs> but things are so different. And, and we're 15 years apart, right. Dave, you and I. Um, and so I was in high school from 2000, to 2001. Or t- <laughs> I did all four years in one. Just Doogie Hauser's got nothing. No, 2000, 2004, I apologize, um, which really kind of was, I mean, I remember life before Facebook as far as like being in school and being social and all that stuff. I remember when my college got Facebook. I remember when Twitter came out. I was a junior in college when the iPhone came out. So like all of these things that define life now, mm-hmm. eight years later, I was able to go through middle school, high school, and most of college without. Whereas someone like Caroline doesn't really have no perspective of that. Of what that's like. Or just simple terms that we use have meaning in them. Selfies weren't a thing when I was in college. Well, see, but, but I'm thinking as much as like you dial a phone. Well, why do you dial a phone? Well, phone used to have a dial that you would actually go, and it would. We have one of those in the basement. I would use it off itself, <laughs> and I was like, "Could I thought it was so cool." So, so you know, you dial a phone number because there was a dial, or rolling up a window, you roll in your car. You rolled it up because there was an actual crank that you turned the dark ages, man, and and rolled it up. And so, uh, you know, terms like that don't even necessarily have meaning to like my, cause they've never experienced a car with the roll up. Well, maybe they have, I think maybe had one while they were alive, but, or while they were at home with me, but anyway, yeah. So there are just certain things that change the perspective. And I don't know that they've really known a world without cell phones. In fact, I don't even know that they really even know having a house phone. I mean, I think we did have house phones, but even then it was kind of a, um, a cordless phone that looked like a cell phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, tangent, sorry. Yeah, sorry, we're good at those. Um, so how did we get on that? Just age difference and... I know, but there was a point there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, for two tonight, Dave. <laughs> you, you don't remember what you were Man, No, it's my first day back at work today. I had five days <laughs> off to go home and, and bury my grandpa and hang out with my family and just totally like veg out and not think about life. <laughs> other than just being with my family and being present to what we were mm-hmm. doing. And I came back to work today. And as it always happens, it just hits the fan. Yeah. Copy machine and the money machine, both jammed, like just, just all sorts of just, you're just like, Oh, of course it's my first day back. So <laughs> I'm a little scatterbrained and I apologize. Uh, we did prepare. I promise. I just am failing to 
complete sentences, apparently. <laughs> or thoughts, for that mm-hmm. matter. Um, I really am going to listen back to this and hate myself. <laughs> I doubt it. <sighs> Anyways. Um, I really did have a point, I promise, but it's gone. Now I'm thinking about... Well, I probably re- I, uh, derailed life, you on life that before one there. Facebook and how blissful it was. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> still have all the same problems we do now. We just didn't have a place to show everyone how awesome our lives are. Yes. Except for MySpace. Anyways, um, let's move on because this is going so well. All right. Verses 29 through 31 say, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Yes. So these verses describe, in a very particular way, the ultimate care that God has for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be kind of a weird way to put it, because sparrows, like, really? But if you read what Jesus is saying there, it is quite a statement about how God cares for us. So how should we respond as Christians today? Not as, not as disciples then, but... You know, assuming that what Jesus is telling the disciples there also applies to us as members of God's family, which I believe it does. How should we respond to these verses? What should they make us feel? What should they make us think? How should they change the way that we act? Uh, I th- I think we should live with uh, some abandon um, and not be so worried about uh, the things of the world and. I, I, you know, I guess that's when, when I kind of think about um, the way I live versus the way I should live, or maybe that's not even the right way that I, I want to say that. But I just think I would live differently if I didn't get so connected to uh, the things of this world um, and really just trusted him uh, to provide. Um, it, I don't know. I, I, now I'm rambling here. Um, God is going to provide for us. God is going to take care of us. Uh, do I think that means that we shouldn't, you know, oh, I don't need to work because God will just take care of me. Uh, I don't need to be responsible. I don't need to, I don't think that's the case. I, I think we very much um, need to be diligent and be what we need to contribute to society uh, and things like that. But the reality is, is, um, you know, when it says something like the hairs on your head are numbered, um, I'm sure I've lost hair this week. I couldn't tell you how many hairs I've lost, but God can. And I think one of the reasons that he chooses that example is it's something that, um, you know, it's very much a part of us and, um, personal to who we are, but yet I can't even tell you how many new gray hairs I got this week, how many hairs I lost, and that sort of thing. But God knows those sorts of details. Uh, He knows the details of uh, sparrows falling to the ground. Um, And simply what he is just saying in this is that uh, things that seem trivial and small to us, he knows about us. And because he knows such intimate, small things about us, it is, it demonstrates how much that he cares for us. And, um, you know, I think, uh, if he is so aware of something that's small, uh, and in relatively insignificant, uh, then obviously he is fully aware of what is important and what really matters and uh, is fully in control uh, of those kinds of things. So um, I think we need to uh, truly kind of let go and let God take care of this kind of stuff, because uh, I I don't know if I've said it here before or not, but it's one of the things I feel like I've been learning uh, a lot about God in this past year is that um, the effort is up to me. Like I need to work hard and I need to be diligent. I need to provide for my family, but ultimately the outcome is not up to me. And I think so often I try to control the outcome and make things happen. And, uh, I worry about, again, uh, when I do a good job at work, uh, I find I'm doing a good job because I want 
kudos and accolades from the boss and people that I work with. And it's not because I want to glorify God. And so, um, one of the ways that I believe we should respond to this truth is living a life like the outcomes aren't up to us and that we trust him for that outcome. And that sometimes the outcomes may not be the outcome that we want, but ultimately, been there. ultimately he, yeah, <laughs> ultimately, um, it, you know, it's, it's the way we acknowledge that we believe that he's in God and he's in control and that he's sovereign is by saying, God, this isn't the outcome that I wanted, but I trust you. And that uh, either you're going to get me there or it didn't matter. And do- whoops, <laughs> or uh, drop my phones. That's what happened. Um, but I trust you that you're going to get it to uh, where uh, I am supposed to be. So anyway. Yes. I concur. Uh, I just... Verse 30 to me is, um, I think, a verse that should really shake people. Mm -hmm. Where it says that even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I mean, we are speaking about the God that has created a universe so vast we can't even really understand how big it is. Now, Mm -hmm. there are are, uh, theories and equations out there that have tried to map and guesstimate the size of the universe and all of that. And we have built crazy spacecrafts and telescopes that allow us to see insanely far away from the planet, but we are unable to accurately map the size of the universe. So the same God that has built planets and stars and galaxies Mm -hmm. And all of this that is so vast and broad and enormous that even the most modern of technologies cannot comprehend the sheer mass of this thing that we call life. God still knows. That same God that created all of that Mm -hmm. still willingly knows the amount of hair Mm -hmm. on my head. One out of, what are we at, 7 billion people on the earth now, if we round yes. up? Just, we'll cur- just currently alive. Right, not just that of live. Not of all time, just currently alive on this planet. The God that created the universe also knows the very details of my life. And this, you know, this correlates to me to the psalm where he says that, you know, before you were even born, I knew you in your mother's womb. Mm-hmm. The, the the intimate details that God knows about us in the grand scheme of what he has created should do nothing but communicate the ultimate love and care and intimacy he desires to have with us. Mm-hmm. I love my wife to death. She's wonderful. And I hope that we, you know, get to spend a really, really, really long time together. I mean, we will in eternity. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you on a on a good day what color her eyes are. I don't know because <laughs> it like the but but the point is not that I'm a bad husband, <laughs> right? Is that she is more to me than the color of her eyes. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. I know her favorite foods. I know her favorite TV shows. I know what she likes to do to relax. I can tell when she's stressed. I can tell when I make her laugh or when she's just laughing to make me feel good. Like I know these things because I care about her and I spend time with her and I want to know her more. This to me just goes like 9,500 steps farther where God is just showing me over and over again that he cares so much about me and about the people on this planet, Mm -hmm. that he knows every single detail to freakish levels about us. And that's only possible because he's the one that created us. Right. I could spend eternity getting to know my wife, but because I did not create her, because we are equals in the eyes of God, I'm never going to know everything about her. That's probably a good thing. Mm Mm-hmm. But because God has created us and we are not equals, (laughs) he is able to know every single thing about me and still, and still seeing all of my junk go, you've got, you've got value because I made you in my image and I want you as part of my family. Yes. 
So these, these verses to me, especially in the context of Jesus sending his disciples out into only he knows what. Right. Is, is such an encouragement and such like a way to end the pregame speech coach. Cause you just <laughs> nailed it. Like you just, you laid out this, this game plan where it could all go sideways really, really quick. Yep. You could, you could piss the wrong people off and you could wind up in a ditch somewhere dead. Right. But it's okay because the God of the universe intimately cares for everything about you. And in the end, no matter what happens now, everything will be set right. And the care that I have for you will go above and beyond anything you can imagine because of what I'm going to do. Yep. Yeah. And you mentioned Psalm 139, which is exactly what I was thinking about. And it, uh, you know, verse one, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know, when I sit down or stand up, you know, my thoughts, even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know, everything I do. And then, uh, you mentioned verse, I think it's 13. Uh, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter sin. utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. And it's just this, I mean, it's just this, um, this psalm is just kind of just um, marveling at how much God loves us and how uh, he does know those intimate details about us, which by the way, I was, I was reading from the new living translation, which we don't normally do. I just felt like, the language was a little bit um, more poetic um, from the New Living Translation than the ESV or the NIV, which we normally read from. Um, and uh, I just, I don't know how often we really do that when we worship God and we just are, are praising Him and being in awe of Him, of just, um, it should give us incredible joy. It should bring us to worship, that the to know that the creator of the universe knows us as intimately as he does. So, All right, so following up on what we just said, Mm -hmm. how can we still live in that truth that we just spoke about, God's just undying intimate care and desire and love towards us, while we experience death, loss, and injustice here on earth? Because that is really one push gun when the the rubber hits the road. Mm -hmm. So how do how do we remember? You know, as he says, um, you know, don't fear those that kill the body. Uh, You're, I know all of this stuff about you. Fear not. You're more valued than many sparrows. How do we remember that and choose to continue to live that way when the world is just kicking us while we're down? Um, I, I think we need to be, um, again, we need to live with an eternal perspective versus a temporal perspective. We just, we have these huge problems that just seem insurmountable and it's like, well, gosh, the world's awful. It's terrible. It's, I'm never going to change anything. I'm never going to have an influence in it. So in addition to fear, there's kind of this defeatist nature that I have. and. Um, I think one of the things that we can do or that I feel like I am learning to do is just to be more specific about, um, my day, the people that I do come in contact with and the people that I'm friends with. You know, I, I don't believe that God is calling me Dave to go, um, witness to complete strangers and win people over on the street. But I do believe that there are people that he has placed in my life and relationships that I'm in, that if I make an effort to get to know those people and understand the details of, no, maybe not even details, but just more specifics about their life and start praying for them in specific areas of, I've got a friend with, you know, a sick kid. Well, that is clearly something that is weighing on this person's mind and is very important to them day in and day out. And if I take the time to hear about how their child is doing and praying for that child, 
and asking for God to work in this person's life and to work in their family's life and to work in their child's life and for them to be glorified. And if I start praying very specific in, 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 um, you know, putting others first, being aware of their needs and their desires and praying for that, I guarantee God's going to show up and he's going to work in those moments. Uh, or if I start worrying about what ISIS is doing, uh, you know, Why or, did you bring them up? <laughs> or if I worry about, you know, things that are going on on a, on a global scale, not saying I shouldn't pray for those things, not saying that God doesn't care about those things and not saying that my prayers and my relationship with God can't have an impact on those things. But the reality is, uh, it is, um, just like he is intimate with us. Um, and I mean that term intimate in the way of like closeness and the way God intends it to mean, uh, I think we need to learn to be, uh, closer to those that we come to on a daily basis and not get so caught up in this big global picture, but more the, the, uh, the smaller details of our day and our world and who we come in contact with. Because clearly if, uh, the hairs on my head matter to God, then something like a sick child of a friend matters to God. And I know that that's a place where, um, by allowing God to work through me, he can have an impact in that person's life, uh, whether they're a Christian or not, and bring that person uh, to know them. Because um, really, that's where those things play out. That is where death plays out. That is where loss plays out. That's where injustice plays out, um, are in those places where we have close relationships and have the opportunity to um, reflect Christ to others. Well said. I hope. <laughs> well, I am going to make an executive decision. I was day. thinking the same. <laughs> and we're going to cut it here. Okay. And we will start with the first 32 uh, next episode, which will be next week. Sounds good. Um, just in respect of our listeners time. Yep. Um, so that's, that's the end of, well, we're getting to the end. We still have a few Verse things 36. to say, but episode, episode 36. Yes. You have, you have survived yet another round of <laughs> Dave and I talking. Congratulations. Uh, Dave, mm-hmm. where, if people want to find the show notes, which will be full of links and references and, who knows what? Where might they go to find them? They need to go to masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash 36 because they will get the show notes for episode 36 by putting slash 36 after masterclass. Well said. <laughs> I don't know. You can also get in contact if you want to uh, follow up on anything that we discussed this episode, or if you want to add to the conversation that that uh, Jerome has started about um, death and Christian grief and and how we navigate that. Um, we really, honestly, genuinely would um, like to hear your feedback. And I hope the fact that we shared um, what you know how Jerome disagreed with us. And, uh, th- that just shows you that we're, we're not looking for people to just tell us how awesome we are. We are genuinely looking for people that want to have a discussion. And, you know, if you think that we're wrong, tell us that we're wrong and, and why you think we are, because we're not going to shy away from that. We're going to, we're going to have a conversation because that's what we need to do as Christians. We need to be able to talk openly about what it means to follow Christ and what scriptures say and how that applies to things as difficult as death and love and family and culture and all of those things. And so um, I hope that you know that if you write in, we will take you seriously and we will, you know, we're not just going to pick and choose the stuff that makes us sound good. Like Jerome disagreed with us pretty hard and we still talked about it because we don't know everything and we'd rather have a conversation and build each other up and encourage each other and learn from one another than, you know, just sit here and talk about how we're right about everything. Cause we're not. No. And that's, you know, and I just think that's, that's one of the cool things about the Bible 
there's a lot of awesome people of God in there, and pretty much every last one of them screwed up, did something stupid, were wrong. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. So anyways, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, email us at masterclassfm uh, at gmail.com. I think that's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or you can hit us on Twitter if you just got a quick shout out. That's masterclassfm yeah. on Twitter. All right. And I think that'll do it. Sounds good. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.